What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with some Week Zero recaps, man. Week Zero is in the books. We had some huge upsets, some great games, some great performances, and we're here on the Blue Bloods to recap them all. And we got to start with the MEAC SWAC Challenge, in which the MEAC wins again, guys. North Carolina Central pulling off the 23-14 upset of all corn and man, I, I think it might be an understatement to say that nobody outside the state of North Carolina or the campus of North Carolina Central saw this one coming. And I am just so impressed with how they pulled this game out and really imposed their will down the stretch against all corn. And you know, when when I say impose their will, I mean you could tell both teams were sloppy early. Uh, that long layoff, not playing since 2019, really affected both teams early. But you have to give NCCU credit for turning this game into something physical that really, you know, outside of the first scoring drive for Alcorn, they weren't ready for. Once they got hit in the mouth, Alcorn just seemed like they were on the mat and couldn't respond. Only had one other scoring drive you know, past that first scoring drop to lead off the game. And, I mean, you look at, you know, what they looked like at the beginning of the game with all the energy, momentum, you know, just they looked like all corn for that first drop. And then once they kind of got hit in the mouth, when you look at how the game ended, the last three minutes, the look on the players' faces, the body language, the tone of the game, completely different. And for me, the most impressive stat that really encompasses what happened here is North Carolina Central converting on 50% of their third down attempts, which we'll get to in a little bit on why that was the case, and Alcorn only being one for 10 on their third down attempts, which while NCCU was able to close this game out down the stretch and while Alcorn had a tough time getting down to the red zone and converting on some opportunities. And I want to start with Alcorn because they really, like I said, got punched in the mouth. And when I look at the strategy, the play calling, everything like that, I don't understand why they abandoned the run down the stretch. And and I get it. Once you're down, it's kind of hard not to get to that pass-heavy set. But Felix Harper isn't really that guy you could just count on to create fire out of nowhere and just start throwing it all around the yard without – especially in games where he doesn't have his momentum built up. And when you look at what Nico Duffy and also a breakout guy for me is Stafford Anderson, man, I I was very impressed with him. They combined for over 180 yards on the ground and Stafford was averaging over 11 yards per carry guys. And Duffy was, was still averaging seven. And what I mean by why, you know, abandoning the run game, what it did for them is the lack of commitment to the run game really put them in unmanageable situations on third down. Therefore, they weren't able to establish drives and, you know, control the time of possession. And therefore, their defense kind of burnt out late in the game, which is what we saw. And the lack of commitment here really put Felix Harper into some very, very obvious uncomfortable situations for him and it took him out of his rhythm it took this offense out of his rhythm and it really made them predictable down the stretch because they got both running backs out of their rhythm and nccu was able to establish their run game 
and therefore they controlled the time of possession and they kept Alcorn's defense on the field a long time. And the front seven of Alcorn didn't have the depth to really keep up with what NCCU was doing down the stretch. And when I when I mentioned Felix's performance, he just never he was never able to find the rhythm down the stretch. And the play calling was questionable because the playmakers that we talked about on the preview that everyone was looking for were not really built into the game plan. Nico Duffy had like had what seven seven um, carries, and they didn't get their top five receivers involved in the game plan as much as I thought. And the the telling stat for me, the advanced analytics, shout out to Pro Football Focus for this. I, I love how they give this breakdown. Felix Harper was two for ten for thirty six yards, in which he threw the ball ten or yards. 10 or more yards down the field. So a lot of his production was either behind or within like five yards of the line of scrimmage. If you don't have a deep threat, if you don't have the ability to take the top off the defense, and these teams are going to really become, these defenses are going to be able to predict what Alcorn wants to do. They're going to load the bot, stop the run, and they're going to be able to test that offensive line, which was suspect at times last time. This is going to become a serious problem for Alcorn as they face stiffer and stiffer competition. Now look at the D-line that Southern is going to be bringing in. If you can't run the ball and then you can't throw the ball down the field, it's going to be a problem with their D-line. If you look at Jackson State, if you look at Alabama State, I don't even know if they play, but those are some of the best D-lines in the conference, it's going to be a problem for Alcorn. And on the flip side, as much as, you know, I, I, as much as I want to talk about Alcorn because we have a lot of SWAC supporters, I want to give the flowers to Davius Richard, Jordan Freeman, and Isaiah Totten. They deserve all the props in the world because they were the key to this offense for NCCU, which I will admit I was very I, I thought was suspect at best. I said that they could probably run the ball a bit, but I didn't believe in Richard to make the plays needed to win this game. And he outplayed Felix Harper on the biggest stage. And the number one thing he did, which I'm very critical of Felix for not doing, is be a playmaker when things broke down. Yes, Richards at times missed throws. He was inconsistent, but he made up for it with his legs, and he made opportunistic throws in crucial moments for the Eagles, man. And he still had 64 yards rushing, seven yards per carry, two touchdowns. You know what? I'm going to say this. He also is credited with taking a linebacker soul in the goal line. That linebacker met him at the line, at, at the end zone, and this kid put him in the dirt. And I was it, that play really solidifies what this game was. It was NCCU being physical and more determined to win this game than Alcorn. That's really what it came down to. And Freeman and Totten came up big time. I thought Totten was going to be the feature back. But really and truly, Jordan Freeman deserves all the credit in the world for for showing up, being big time for the Eagles with 72 yards rushing, averaging over seven yards a carry. I think Freeman and Totten are going to be a MEAC of running back pair that's really going to be interesting down the stretch for this team. And also, Manny Smith was the game's MVP on defense for them. Ten tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, and... For me, it's it's really more about what NCCU did at times than it is about Alcorn's mistakes. Now, Alcorn did make a lot of mistakes, but you could tell past that first drive that they were just outmatched physically at times. And the, the front seven 
for all corn is a huge concern for me moving down, move, like down the stretch for them. They, they just got pushed around. They did all corn lost both battles on the line of scrimmage. And when you do that, there's no way you can pull off a win in a big game like this. And, what it does for me is really have a lot of concern about what Alcorn's going to do in these next few games. They got Northwestern State in two weeks, I believe, in Lorman. They got South Alabama, UAPB. I mean, they have some serious games. Grambling's coming up. They aren't going to have many easy wins on the schedule, including and uh, including a Southern and a JSU matchup later in the season. This team's in real trouble now. This was the game. The experts thought they should win. There's a, this is the game, the fans, the coaches. I mean, everyone in the world outside of NCCU thought that Alcorn had this game. And so that was just one of the things that went wrong for Alcorn. And then also NCCU and the MEAC is going to be interesting. Everyone just kind of chalked it up to South Carolina State's you know, conference to lose, which it is, but is NCCU, if they bring the same mentality, the that bring your lunch pail to work type attitude to each of these each each game, how could they could they pull off enough wins to really compete for the MEAC now that you know FAM and in um, North Carolina A and T and all these teams are out of there, Bethune, I, I think they could be a factor down the down the down the line. But for me, a lot of people are making a lot about the four and eight record two years ago, all the freshmen, all the transfers. But what we saw is one team that came out really ready to put it all on the line for a win in their first game in two years and a team that just it looked like the moment got too big. They got outplayed. They they didn't show up. And if Alcorn doesn't match or if Alcorn doesn't improve the energy and the conditioning and the execution down the stretch, they're going to have a lot more losses on their record than I think a lot of people expected going into the season. And I'll be one of the first to admit it. I had them winning the West. I really think Southern and UAPB right now are probably better teams. And that could change once we see both of those teams hit the field. But right now, based on what I saw from Alcorn, they don't have the they don't have the offense or defense line to make an impact. The linebackers for me didn't flash. Their secondary is legit. Their running backs are legit. But it, right now, you have to be wondering, you know, what was up with Felix Harper? I know some fans are wanting to say it was a concussion due to a big hit he took and the face mask where he like pulled his neck around. It could be. But when you are a consensus top, I would say top two or three quarterback in the SWAT going into this game, you've got to give me more than that. And what I want to see is can this play calling improve and do they have the ability to take the top off the defense and push the ball down the field? Because there's because the run game was there at times, they abandoned it, and it just looked like Felix Harper and those wide receivers couldn't carry the offense down the stretch. The punt return was big. And it just looked like NCCU just wanted it a little bit more than Alcorn. But, guys, comment below your thoughts on the game. Um, you know, what is next for NCCU and Alcorn? Like I mentioned, Alcorn welcomes in Northwestern State in two weeks, while NCCU heads to Marshall in two weeks for a big FBS versus FCS matchup. So I'm sure that won't be a great one to watch as well. Got to go out to L.A., man. We had UCLA versus Hawaii in the Rose Bowl, and UCLA made a huge statement with a blowout win over the Rainbow Warriors, man. And this was chip, you know, coming into the weekend, guys. The Bruins had not won a non-conference game, 
you know, under Chip Kelly. So a lot of people were skeptical. There was a lot of positive momentum, you know, for Todd Graham's team. And everyone thought that, you know, Hawaii could be a trap game. And, you know, what was UCLA going to look like this year? Well, guys, it was pretty much a wrap as the first, you know, as like the first quarter kind of winded down with a 24-3 to lead. They had a dom- – the Bruins had a dominating running game, an opportunistic defense that was flying around the football. And on the flip side, it was just – all the problems were just huge for Hawaii as they looked disoriented, overwhelmed from the kickoff, and they just never seemed to be able to rebound from that huge, overwhelming swing and momentum. And I want to start out – by giving a huge shout-out to Zach Charbonnet, who showed why he was the highly-rated recruit and one of in the, one of Michigan's top backs while he was there. Charbonnet had three rushing touchdowns in the first half, in which two of them happened in the first quarter. He only got six touches, guys, but three of them went for touchdowns, and he had over 100 yards rushing while he was averaging almost 18 yards per carry. Charbonnet really put on a show, guys. He was, you know, a lot. Of, a lot was made about Brenton Brown. You know what the what was the run game going to look like now that Demetric Felton is off to the NFL? Well, Charbonnet answered that early, often, and he was running so violently. He was so explosive, and I was so impressed with how he played this weekend. And if Charbonnet can continue this and become a huge factor next week when LSU comes to LA. It could be a it, this game could be huge week one for UCLA if they can you know somehow keep it close and possibly pull the upset over LSU and I really think the Bruins found that they have a solid one two punch at running back. Britton Brown showed that he can be the workhorse if needed, which could really help Chip Kelly establish the run game you know as the season wears on because he can go with the hot hand. Brown on the flip side had 13 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown, averaged about six yards to carry. So when you look at Brown and Charbonnet and what they bring, if this Bruins offensive line could continue what they did this weekend, we could see one of these historic Chip Kelly running games, you know, really be established out there in LA. And, you know, I was very high on the Bruins in our Pac 12 preview. I had them finishing second in the division. They were my sleeper team. If they can, if they have a run game and an offensive line performance like they did this past weekend, UCLA is going to be a very, very tough team to beat in the Pac 12. And I want to move to, you know, what went wrong with Hawaii, guys. I mean, to say the least, it, they were they kind of underwhelmed in every aspect of the game. They failed to establish the rushing game. The offensive line greatly underperformed in both the pass-blocking pass aspect and run-blocking. They only averaged 1.2 yards per rush and only 26 rushing yards. And one of their rushes was for 16 yards. So they they could not get any movement. They got outplayed by UCLA defensive line that a lot of people weren't sure how it was going to fare in the run game. They looked dominant this weekend. They made their impact known. And this UCLA defensive line looked faster, more explosive, stronger. And this Hawaii offensive line could have problems with this, what they churn out. Because the offense was supposed to be the – I guess the sure thing for Hawaii, and now you're looking at it, and it's like, man, they they got whooped 
all weekend long. And then Chevin Cordario at quarterback really was inefficient, didn't take advantage of what I thought was a question mark on the back end of this UCLA defense. There was a huge question mark. It was, for me, really the safety spots. And he only had 200 yards passing. His yards per attempt was abysmal, guys. 4.7, one touchdown, two INTs, and only a 10 QBR. And for me, the biggest thing that I saw was how UCLA was able to keep Cordario under pressure most of the day. The offense in it, for, for me, when, when you look at this Hawaii offense this weekend, given they couldn't run the ball, it allowed UCLA to pin their ears back and really come after Cordario. And for much of the day, they were able to get pressure with just four, and therefore it threw the entire offense of Hawaii off balance. And they never really could establish their rhythm throughout the day. And so it really hurt what Hawaii does best, which is keep that up-tempo approach, spread the ball out, get the ball to the playmaker's hands. They – Stop the run game, so you didn't have any playmakers there. And then also Cordario really struggled getting the ball into his playmakers' hands because the Bruins were able to get pressure on him by not really blitzing much of the day. On the defensive side of the ball, though, for Hawaii, they looked extremely rusty. Poor tackling, poor execution all throughout the game. When you look at the, that one Charbonnet touchdown, he broke like five or six tackles, it felt like, on that play. And it really just – set the tone early that UCLA could just do what they want. Um, they missed uh, they missed over 10 tackles in the game. Uh, there were some out-of-position moments, lack of execution, and it just allowed the Bruins to really take, take full control of this game and get out of hand quickly. Look at the special teams issue. They had a huge punt block, and when you look at the score 44 to 10, it really could have been even more than that, and the you know Hawaii scored late. But they also just had dumb mistakes. And it's something that, you know, this Todd Graham team hasn't didn't do last year, but it really killed the early momentum. Like the punt, the first, but the first punt they had, the, the snap was low. And instead of letting the ball hit and kind of corral it, the punter took a knee when he got the ball, which, which put the Bruins inside the red zone for their first drive of the day, a quick seven, nothing lead. And then things just kind of spiraled out of control from there. The one thing I do want to say though and, you know, I don't want to I don't want to call them out too bad, but I wasn't extremely impressed with Dorian Thompson Robinson. I know we didn't have to do much because the run game was so electric. The run game was doing its thing. But for me, I wanted to see him take better command and control of this offense, because when a big game comes like next weekend, LSU is going to require him to go out and make some big plays. And this week he was fairly inefficient with his passing and I've really thought he could have done better overall in what in what he did what this offense gave him now it could be that Chip Kelly wanted to keep it simple due to LSU coming into town next week and he didn't want to show too much he didn't want to give them a bunch of film and they knew they could outman Hawaii on the ground which they did in all and you know in all fairness they absolutely you know, out just ran it down their throats. But for me, Dorian Thompson Robinson to open the game, super, super inefficient. And he never really c- kind of caught his rhythm. 10 for 20, only 50% completion percentage, only 130 yards and one touchdown. Now, he didn't have any turnovers. He wasn't super dynamic with his legs. But for me, 
what I want to see next for UCLA is Dorian Thompson Robinson taking control of this offense and showing the playmaker and showing the progression that he showed late last year in terms of accuracy, ball placement, and just being being the focal point of this offense because he's going to be the key to what UCLA does down the stretch this year and really being that sleeper team. It's all great that Charbonnet and Brown really co- – commanded the offense today. The offensive line played pretty well, but I want to make sure Dorian Thompson-Robinson takes that next step in his accuracy. And we're going to get a lot of those questions answered next week when LSU rolls into town to face the Bruins. And that that's the only thing is like, I'm a little bit concerned with his accuracy and I really didn't love what I saw out of the passing offense this week. And it could, it could just be that, you know, they had a simplified game plan, but a 6.5 yards per attempt average, a 50% completion percentage is not is not what I want from a quarterback the caliber of Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So that was the one critique I had about UCLA. I do want to say the defense looked outstanding. If the defense can fly around, make plays, rush the passer, shut down the run like they did, stay disciplined, then I really love UCLA's chances down the stretch. That was one of the best performances I've seen from their defense. And I know critics and fans are going to say, well, it's just Hawaii, Zach. Why are you giving them all the credit? Well, they haven't been able to do this ever under Chip Kelly. They were getting handled by Cincinnati, by San Diego State. So this wasn't just like a give-me-win For UCLA, they went out there, really proved it, and this was one of the best, most complete performances I've seen from a Chip Kelly UCLA team. Very impressed this weekend, a huge 44-10 win. Now, you know, what's what's next for these teams? I've already mentioned UCLA, LSU's coming into L.A. next week in one of the most anticipated matchups of week one. And Hawaii hosts Portland State next Saturday in what is, should be a nice bounce-back game for the Rainbow Warriors. But UCLA's got a huge test. The defense looked apart. The running game and the offensive line looked apart. Dorian Thompson-Robinson just has to take his game up to the next level next week. But we'll be previewing that game later this week, guys. I'm so pumped for UCLA versus LSU. But listen, we had one of the uh, – probably, uh, my, in my opinion, the best game of the weekend here. Huge upset in the Big Ten. Illinois getting the big win over Nebraska to open up week zero, man, 30-22 in Champaign. The crowd was electric. The game was electric. And we had uh, we had such an amazing game, man. I'm so glad football's back. And just when you thought things couldn't get any worse for Scott Frost in Nebraska, the Fighting Illini and Brett Bielema welcome the Husters to the 2021 season with another upset win. And, you know, this leads to Huskers to 0-1. Lots of questions around the program while Illinois gets a huge boost in momentum and has a lot of people wondering what the potential could be for the Illini with a coach like Bielema who was so successful in his first, I guess, tenure in the Big Ten when he was a coach at Wisconsin. And listen, uh, as much as a lot of channels and people are starting out with Nebraska, I want to start out on the other side of the field with Illinois, and I want to start with someone who nobody believed in. When Arthur Sikowski stepped in for Brandon Peters, who went down with an unfortunate shoulder injury on like the second drive of the game, there were plenty of people who wrote off Illinois. 
And it was mostly because Satowski really didn't, really underperformed at Rutgers. Eight touchdowns, 20 INTs, and he threw 18 INTs and only four touchdowns in his freshman year. He was the butt of every joke. But yesterday, Satowski was ready for his moment, and I think he should be praised above almost anyone because he really was a huge factor in the Illini winning this game, getting their getting a back-to-back win over Nebraska for the first time since the early 20s. It was the first time they've won back-to-back games over Nebraska since 1923 and 24, man. That's so long. And when you look at Satowski when he came in, 80% completion percentage for 124 and two touchdowns. He led the Illini on multiple scoring drives and really was the key factor in this big win. He was efficient. He was effective. He was accurate. He he made plays when needed to, and the moment was never too big for him. And this was really a redemption moment for Satowski, and I'm so happy. And so I, I'm just like, I think this was one of the biggest storylines that no one's talking about. He had a 95.3 QBR, guys. But for me, when you give Satowski credit, you have to give the offensive line credit as well. They did not allow many pressures on Satowski. They gave him a clean pocket on 15 of his attempts, which is almost all of them. And the offensive line did a great job run blocking, off, you know, pass blocking. This offensive line was the secondary MVP of the game. But the fact that this kid came in when, no, when one, no one believed in him, and two, on short notice when no one thought he was going to play and put on a performance like this, I, I am just – enamored with this storyline and I hope Peters has a speedy recovery but if Satowski can continue this type of play I think Illinois can exceed people's expectations I think they could get a few more wins than people are expecting especially with how the run game played how the defense was opportunistic and especially what we saw on special teams that punter man I'm blanking on his name right now but that punter absolutely might have been the MVP of the game. And I was so impressed. He pinned Nebraska back time and time again, really helped them get on the board by pinning them back. The, you know, Cam Taylor Britt, forgive me where he was on the field, taking a knee in the end zone. I was I was very impressed by Brett Bielema's opener. He had this team ready to play. He had this team expecting that they were going to win, and they pull off a huge, huge upset here. And – I want to get to some, you know, the the differences in the game here. It's really came down to Nebraska making repeated dumb mistakes, dumb football mistakes, and how the Alana turned almost every single mistake Nebraska made into points. And it really became the difference in the end. You want to start with Cam Taylor Britt losing track of his of where his body was on the field, you know, went back into the end zone with the ball kneeled down, tried to throw it forward even though his knee was down, and it led to a safety, gave the Illini a 2-0 lead. And then when you look at later in the game, Cam Taylor Britt again gets a huge interception, but Caleb Tanner gets called for roughing the passer, which I thought was questionable, but going back and looking at the film, he did slam him. I still thought it was a 50-50 call. I don't love the call, but according to the rule, if you slam the quarterback, it is a call. And what the Illini did is – that interception was on third down. So instead of having a punt and a, and a, or an interception, which would have put them in Illinois tel- territory, the Illini take the ball down, tie the game at nine. Then you look at Adrian Martinez losing the ball and the Illini scoop and score to the house to take a 16-9 to lead into halftime. 
So right there, that's a 16-point swing in, in the Illini's direction on three costly, costly mistakes by Nebraska. Mistakes cost the Cornhuskers this game. Illinois, like I was talking about, Statowski played smart, disciplined football, which is why they were the better team. And, you know, I got over here and Nebraska's at an all-time low. Man, this program has so many questions. The recruiting's not there. The execution is not there. The energy's not there. And then when you look at what they did to come into the game, they lose Wondell Robinson, which, which was one of their biggest offensive weapons, and they couldn't establish the run game. The only person who could run the ball was Adrian Martinez being able to scramble when the pocket collapsed. That was it. Illinois on the flip side was able to move the chains and control the line of scrimmage which is really what helped them win this game. You look at Martinez rushing for over 111 yards, a touchdown, but the running backs combined for 54 yards on 19 carries. That's just not going to cut it in the Big Ten in these big conference games. Gabe Irvin and Marquis Stepp both had promising plays, but it seemed like Nebraska lost focus on the run game, and it really hurt the offense because Martinez is not that type of quarterback that can put the offense on his back and go out there and make a bunch of plays with his arm. He's going to need help. Nebraska abandoned the run too early. I thought Marquis Stepp was going to get more action. I thought Gabe Urban was going to get more carries. And I understand that early in that second half, the game was starting to get out of hand, and they had to kind of throw their way back in, even though Martinez really made the plays with his legs. I thought they needed to establish a run better. Well, in my opinion, I think moving forward, you're going to have to find a way to get Marquis Step more involved in the game. He had that one rushing touchdown. But you look at the flip side, that they, Mike Epstein absolutely had an amazing game. He was especially big in the first half, rushed for over 75 yards and a touchdown. This was big because, you know, Chase Brown was supposed to be the lead guy. He was limited. Brett Bielema mentioned that they knew he was going to be limited, didn't really know how much he was going to play. But this could be a great one-two punch, Epstein and Brown, and really give the Aladna a great running back duo to to really compete in some of these later conference games they have coming up on the schedule. And I thought the offensive line for Illinois really established the line of scrimmage in the run game. I thought Nebraska did some great things rushing the passer, which ended up costing the Illini Brandon Peters. But for me, I thought the run game is where Nebraska really struggled. They really had a tough time holding the line of scrimmage, giving up gap protection, things like that. I thought Nebraska could have done a whole lot better on that front. And for me, I thought the run being able to establish the run game later in the game really helped Arthur Satowski find his rhythm because Nebraska, because I feel like Nebraska thought they were going to lean on the run and the Satowski was able to make some very great throws, especially one down the sideline into tight coverage where he was putting on the dot. And I really, for me, it looked like Illinois wanted this one more. They were they were more focused. They played better. They were more disciplined. They 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 executed better. Everything went in the way of Illinois. And I really have to look at the coaching, man. You look at the rosters, and on paper, it's not like Illinois just had better athletes than Nebraska. It's never the case. For me, the real storyline of this weekend is Brett Bielema outcoached Scott Frost. And I don't think anyone's surprised about that. But if you're a Nebraska fan, you have to be. I know Scott Frost is going to get the ire of 
everybody in the country. And I don't want to sit here and just burn, you know, no, just roast Scott Frost. But, man, like there were no adjustments. The game plan was questionable. And you just got run out of there by the end of the game. I know they had a chance to win late. But when you when you t- take the ball away from what was supposed to be possibly your strength in the run game and put it on Adrian Martinez to do it all through the air when your wide receiving core has already got question marks, I really just wonder what the actual game plan was going to need to be. And, you know, this Nebraska to all-time low topic I got over here, what is next? It, you know, with, with the NCAA investigation, which I don't think is as serious as we initially thought – um, you know, maybe some suspensions, some fines, things like that. When you're looking at this Nebraska schedule, it's brutal. And you're wondering how many wins are realistic for Nebraska. When you look at this schedule, Oklahoma, Northwestern, Michigan, Minnesota, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. This was a game that I feel like Nebraska was counting on just to compete for maybe bowl eligibility. Now that you lost this game, I don't know where it comes. I think Oklahoma is going to outclass them. I think Northwestern going to outclass them. Minnesota going to outclass them. Ohio State, Wisconsin, let's just mark those as L's. I think Iowa's better too. That's six losses right there, and you just lost this one for a seventh. So that's the best-case scenario you possibly can go five and seven right now. And I don't think Michigan, Michigan State are easy wins for you. So now you're looking at what is really the win total that Scott Frost has to aim at for, for realistically to keep his job. Because right now, in my opinion, if he doesn't get bowl eligible this year, I think it's time to move on. You've given him all the leeway in the world. He has, hasn't done it. And the storyline that I think I have to follow, and it's the same thing I've said about Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, is the fact that an offensive-minded head coach that was praised and hired – because he can recruit and develop quarterbacks, has yet to find a capable quarterback at, at a school like Nebraska. And this win, you know, this is back-to-back times. Illinois has outclassed Nebraska on the football field, which is a storyline I don't think a lot of people thought was coming. So for me, Nebraska is in serious trouble, and it might be an all-time low for this program. And I think Scott Frost, the clock is ticking. They have turned, they have turned the timer over. And the sand is running out for you if you don't get this turnaround. You're going to have to try to find a win here or there. If you don't get the bowl eligibility, I don't see why Scott Frost is the head coach when Nebraska takes the field for the first week of 2022. And for goals for Brett Bielema, though, man, he what a huge win coming in. Uh, the, I know the Illini fans were so excited to get a coach of his caliber. I know Arkansas didn't turn out well. But, man, he was coaching his you-know-what off up there in Wisconsin. He comes back to the Big Ten, gets a huge conference win. You know, uh, I know expectations were at a really, really low for Illinois. But if they can – they could be on the verge of – if they can get to five wins in his first year, possibly six, if he can sneak into bowl eligibility – you're talking about an A-plus season for Brett Bielema. This was a key a key game, a key win for him to really get this team and this momentum on track. I want to shout out Brett Bielema. If he can get somewhere in between five to six wins this year, 
This program is going to be on an upswing, and I'm very excited to see what he does with this program, how he recruits, how he develops talent, and really and truly I want to see if maybe he's just a guy that can go out there and compete in the Big Ten, and I am so excited for Illinois. That fan base was electric this weekend. Love the energy. I love that it was the first game of Week Zero, and I was absolutely pumped to see this win happen. I picked Nebraska, but Illinois went out there and earned it this weekend, and they were the better team on the field. And shout out to them for making all the right plays. So now Illinois moves on to take on the University of Texas at San Antonio UTSA next weekend, while Nebraska should have a rebound game against Fordham next week. So that should be a good opportunity to kind of see what uh, if Nebraska can get kind of that positive momentum back rolling in their direction. But guys, it, but guys, for the Blue Bloods, for myself, we are out for right now.